Well, today we're going to talk about expectations. I'm sure all of you have some expectations in your life. And we're going to talk about how expectations influence our perception of Jesus and how he intersects and how he relates to our lives. Now, when it comes to expectations, I've found something in my life perhaps you can identify with, and that's that nothing seems to ever go exactly how I expect. Anybody else? <laughs> now, sometimes that's a good thing, you know, because God does things that are better than I expect. Oftentimes, it's just different, right? Like, I, I, I get down the road, I'm like, well, I, I didn't expect it to go quite that way. Um, we got a... Uh, we got a new TV after Christmas last year, upgraded to a 65-inch, and hung it up on the wall. And uh, this TV has this weird bug uh, where it just will randomly turn on. And so uh, we'll walk in the living room, and it'll randomly be playing. And uh, also during, like, the summer and the fall, it would just over and over, it would pop on and randomly put a channel on it. It would put a Baywatch on. And we'd just walk in. I, I guess there's a channel that just runs Baywatch all the time. So we walk in, and there's David Hasselhoff. We're like, I didn't know the cat liked Baywatch. But um, so, yeah, so since, like, November, though, it's been defaulting to a uh, holiday favorites movie channel. And so you just walk in, and there's some cheesy Christmas movie that pops on and playing. And I, I might, how many of you want to admit you may have watched a cheesy Christmas movie this year? Anybody? Yeah. I, 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 uh, I'm not proud to admit, but I might have gotten sucked in by one of those and actually watched it. And what I find funny about these, uh, these Hallmark Christmas movie specials, they always play off this theme of expectations, don't they? Because you always have, like, you know, the girl, the young lady that's the main actress, and she has an expectation. Um, She's going to move to the big city, marry her boyfriend, who's this cute, big shot, rich lawyer. And unexpectedly, unexpectedly, she gets snowed in in a village where it's Christmas all year long. And magical snowflakes never stop falling. And she just happens to unexpectedly meet the, uh, the town's cute family doctor, who also happens to be a widower with an eight-year-old girl. and owns a Christmas tree farm. There's really only two plots in these movies. One is the guy, and the other is the girl's a baker and owns a bakery. So that's the two plots. You can tell there's been a few of these on in my home over the years. And everyone lives happily ever after in an unexpectedly charmed life. And when you watch these movies, it's like, wow, I could have never seen that coming in this movie, right? But here's the thing about life and expectations. I've found life almost never goes like one of these cheesy Hallmark movies. In fact, for some of you, you had some expectations about how life would go, and it hasn't gone that way at all. Maybe this year, this season's kind of hard for you. This Christmas, you're not actually looking forward to it. For some of you, it's the first year you find yourself alone on Christmas. For some of you, there's a health thing that, that popped up, and, and you're struggling with some anxiety and some concerns that you didn't have last year. Perhaps for some of you, uh, there's real tension and stress in your finances, and something didn't go the way you expected, and now you're, you're wondering how the bills are going to get paid. For some of you, there's a relationship in your life that's just broken, Things went off the rails. Maybe it's a kid who just walked away and, and you don't have relationship with them anymore. 
Life almost never lives up to our expectations completely, and oftentimes it hits us in ways we never expected. In fact, I would expect that for some of you, you, you feel like God has actually let you down. I think so many people have some idea or some kind of expectation of who God is. But I think also for most people, many people in our culture, they just kind of live with God in the background of their lives. Like God's sort of in the background. Now, you believe in him, and I can prove that because think of how much more you prayed when life went wrong, right? But he's sort of in the background. And, and we have this expectation, I think, of, hey, I'm going I'm to try to live a good life, be a good person, because that's probably what I think he expects. But the unexpected expectation we have is that in return, life should go somewhat like that ideal picture that I see in my head. And when life ends up not going that way, so many people feel like God didn't live up to who we expected him to be. And many people at this point really just detach from God. Sort of write him out of the picture. But what if our expectations of God were never who God promised to be to begin with? This was actually a little bit of how the people of Israel felt at the time of Jesus' birth. Now, you may know that we have four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, just that fact, that would not be something you would actually expect because really in the culture, in this time in history, only rich and famous people um, had histories written about them. They would hire people to make them look good, and they would write um, histories about them, not poor itinerant preachers. But there was something so incredible about Jesus that we're told on that reading you just heard that many have undertaken to draw up an account of his life. And that's really remarkable. And today we're going to be reading out of that account, mostly out of Luke's account. And Luke tells us, Luke, Luke was a scholar, he was a physician, he, and he tells us he carefully investigated, he interviewed eyewitnesses, he probably interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, about the events of Jesus' life. And so we're going to be looking at a familiar Christmas passage in just a moment. But before we get to the familiar Christmas part of his account, I want to read something that Jesus said when he was about 30 at the very beginning of his public work. Luke 4.16 says this, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And so, essentially, the synagogue in, in uh, ancient Israel is uh, kind of where we model the way we do church off of. We come study the scriptures together. We worship God. So he went to church in his hometown, and he'd been gone for a while, and he comes back, and they hand him the scroll to read. Now, you've heard about Jesus, I'm sure, and you've heard about Mary and Joseph, but another person closely tied to Christmas is a guy who actually lived 700 years before Jesus, and that's this guy, the prophet Isaiah. We've been learning about him over the last six weeks here at, at Life Community and digging into some of his works, but a prophet, if you don't know what a prophet is, a prophet was someone who heard things from God, who God revealed things to about the future and would talk about things in the future that hadn't happened yet. And I know that 
might sound a little bit crazy, um, but here's the thing. As you look at history, the things the prophets wrote about begin to happen in stunning detail years or many years later. And an incredible amount of the, the things that Isaiah wrote about, you can go back in history and go, whoa, whoa, that's incredible, right? He would write about some near things that happened just, you know, weeks or a matter of a few years away. He wrote about some medium-term things, some things a little over 100 years away. In fact, he prophesied, God showed him that the people of, of Israel be hauled into captivity by Babylon. But he actually, God told them to name his son only a remnant would return. That was his name. It's different in Hebrew, but I can't really pronounce it. So I'll just tell you the English one. Only a remnant would return. So he prophesied that they would be taken into captivity, and then a remnant, but only a remnant, would return. And it happened exactly, we, we know when he wrote, and you can go check history, both in the scriptures and outside of scriptures, and it happened exactly how he said, that they were hauled into captivity, and then a remnant came back um, to Israel. And that's the remnant that actually preserved the descendants, the people line, leading up to Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. He spoke about some longer-term things, many things. He's one of the primary prophets, um, more than any other quoted in the New Testament, because he speaks so many things that were fulfilled. Do you see what Luke started out? He said, um, many have undertaken to, uh, to write an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. See, prophets have been writing for hundreds of years, and they've been waiting for these things to happen, and Jesus came and fulfilled prophecy, hundreds of these prophecies, and Isaiah was one of the primary writers. And some of the things we're still waiting to see in the future when Jesus returns, some of the things that Isaiah wrote about. So, so the people at Jesus' time, they put a lot of weight on what Isaiah prophesied. And so Jesus takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, it says, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. When you see the word anointed, literally the Messiah means the anointed one. They would anoint a king. Um, and so he says he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the favorable or proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the people here would have known these words by heart. They'd been hearing these words and anticipating when this would be fulfilled through the Messiah. They had been hearing it since they were little kids. And Jesus reads this common um, scripture that everybody knew. And then it says this, then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now think about how unexpected, in fact, how shocking that was. You show up at church that day, this local, respected local guy shows up, and he says this 700-year-old prophecy is fulfilled today. They didn't, they didn't know quite what to think about that. In fact, many in the nation of Israel would go on to miss Jesus because they had certain expectations of what, the, what their idea of this fulfillment would look like. And Jesus says it's happening, and if you're not careful, you're going to miss it. And so 
Chuck Luke 4 away in your mind. We're going to come back to it towards the end. But first, I want to read from a familiar Christmas account that Isaiah, who also wrote, um, he, he wrote many things about the birth of Jesus, and many things are fulfilled in this. And so here we go. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus was issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus, I find it interesting that the richest, most famous person in the world in this time in history is really now just a footnote in the story of Jesus. It says this was the first census that took place when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And as they've gone and studied history and archaeology uh, outside the Bible, man, it totally corroborates what Scripture says here. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Now, let me just set up the emotion of this scene. Because to understand it, what you have to understand is the nation of Israel is under the thumb of an occupying superpower. The world had never seen anything before like the Roman Empire. Now, I kind of like ancient history, and I guess there was this thing going around uh, that I heard about. Um, I actually saw it on Twitter, but I guess it got famous. It went viral on Instagram and on TikTok, where this guy is like, hey, um, hey, ladies, ask your, your husbands how often they think about Rome. They were actually talking about Rome. Um, how often? And, uh, and it was like all these guys are talk, thinking about Rome all these times. Anybody think about Rome? Just me? Okay, so I was a little bit like... <laughs> encouraged because I wasn't the only nerdy one. So I I found that a little bit encouraging. But they'd never seen anything like the superpower of Rome. So this superpower now that you're under the thumb of, they command you, dude, to get up and walk from Fruta to Montrose, 70 miles, on foot. Oh, and you've got your, your, your wife's nine months pregnant, pregnant, doesn't matter, bring her with you hopefully on a donkey, right? That's all the pictures. We don't really know. But hopefully, and uproot yourself and take yourself so we can count you so we know how much we should tax you and audit you. Imagine how they felt. I'm sure Joseph is muttering under his breath, like, you know, he's, he's not too happy about this. And the whole nation felt that way too. And here's the thing, because of the things that Isaiah and the other prophets wrote, there was actually a lot of expectation nationwide of what the Messiah would do when he came. In fact, Isaiah wrote this in in chapter 9, speaking of the birth of Messiah. He said, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So we're we're talking about a birth of a prince, a birth of a king. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. See, their primary expectation at the time of Jesus in the nation was when the Messiah came, he would bring deliverance as a conquering king. Most of them felt like exile had never really ended. They'd come back, a remnant had come home, but they'd been under the thumb of empire after empire for hundreds of years. They, they knew that peace was prophesied. Their idea was peace through strength and dominance. That was the Roman model, Pax Romana, remember that? Peace 
the peace of Rome. Now, on the outside edges of the empire, there was a lot of violence. On the inside, because they ruled with an iron fist, there was relative peace. And that was their picture, peace through domination. They had an expectation that the Messiah would come in and would usher in a univ- an era of universal justice and shalom, peace, shalom, um, that things would be made right. We see things in Isaiah 11 like that, that with justice he will, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth, that the wolf will live with the land. It's this beautiful picture of a world without violence. And in order to do that, God would have to come first and act decisively against the prideful evil empires and evil people and act to judge and destroy an evil world. Bringing in this era where we see these, this beautiful picture of this world where they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The wolf will live with the lamb. There's peace. It sounds like a place you want to be. The earth would be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Sounds amazing. So they had the, an expectation of a coming, conquering king who would raise up an army and who would deliver that for them. But they missed some some other things in the prophecies. Some things that should have made them maybe question and reevaluate their expectations. Have you ever missed something uh, where you had an expectation and looking back, you're like, I shouldn't have missed that, right? Probably. Um, I did. I had, um, we had its rule in my house. And it, it, if we had, it, we didn't, but if we ever had a prenup, it would have been in there. No cats. No cats. Um, I think it was a reasonable and fair rule, looking back. And then my wife and kids started begging, can we bring this cat home? It needs a good home. It, it could live in the garage, Dad. And I'm like, well, I guess there's mice in the garage. I mean, I'm not against cats eating mice. And so, you know, I, I had an expectation of this cat coming home and this cat living in the garage. Looking back, I should have questioned my expectations. Now that cat sleeps right next to me every night on the bed. (laughs) Now I got a Christmas confession for you. You know that song, you don't always get what you want. Sometimes you get what you need. I kind of like the cat. Shh, don't tell my family, okay? I don't know if they're in the service. (laughs) But they miss some real critical things in the prophecies. They missed what the scripture said about the nature of this child to be born. This wasn't any ordinary child, was he? He'd be known as mighty God, everlasting father. Who is this child? Who is this child? See, there's hints of his nature, actually. Christmas, what we celebrate is the incarnation that God took on flesh. And even back in this prophecy in Isaiah, you begin to see see, um, the picture being painted of the um, age-old doctrine of the Trinity, Christian doctrine of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. A famous scholar puts it this way because it's kind of hard for us to understand. He says, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each person is fully God, and there is one God. Anybody fully wrap your mind around that? No. And here's the reason why. God is infinite. We can't even understand, really wrap our minds around the way a basic single cell operates. It's so complex. We can't 
come close to understanding the vastness of the universe, and God holds that in his hand and created that. That's our God. And Jesus, as he comes, he reveals to us over and over in the book of John. In fact, they try to kill him multiple times because he made such clear claims to be God here in the flesh, the Son of God, but God in the flesh, that they tried to kill him multiple times, and eventually they would crucify him for that. So even though these prophecies painted a much bigger picture, both of who this Messiah would be and what, like the scope of what he would accomplish when it came to reaching the Gentiles, reaching the rest of the world, the religious climate that Jesus landed in was very much focused on being separate from everyone else. They had a good reason. Captivity. They were hauled into captivity because they went after the false idols of all the other nations. And so they were determined not to do that again. But in the midst of that, they lost the mission of reaching out to the rest of the world with the good news of the one true God. They missed who Jesus was. They missed what he came to accomplish. And that's, I think when it comes to expectations, it shouldn't be too surprising that they miss things because I think for me it's easy to find my expectations in life drifting toward being more me-centered, more about here and now rather than God's big agenda in this world. All right, back to Luke's record of the first Christmas, verse 5. It says, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Anybody like the song, Away in a manger. No crying he makes. Really? (laughs) That that lyric always gets me. I mean, because we have this rosy picture of the first Christmas. Put yourself in their shoes, right? Joseph, his fiance, and it was even a bigger deal than, than engagement for us. They were legally married. They just hadn't, like, there was still a ceremony to be had, right? Go, she goes away to her cousin's house for a few months, comes back with a baby bump, and he's, he's a good man. Um, he didn't want to shame her, but he also couldn't go through with it. An angel literally has to stop him, appear, and stop him from divorcing her. But even after the assurance of an angel... I think you'd be thinking, okay, an angel spoke to me. I have an expectation. Things are going to get better from here, right? Now he finds himself forced by the tax man to walk on foot 70 miles, literally like on the day that she's going to give birth, finds him. He can't even provide her a decent hotel room. There's no room, so he brings her into this stable. And then he has to somehow help his wife give birth in a stable. That's different than you expected, right? I remember with my firstborn, um, I thought I would, you know, help, help. Um, but then I'm like, yeah, class, Lamaze. Who needs a class? I don't need a class. I'll just read this book. There was this book, Husband Birth, or Coach Child Birth. It wasn't, uh, I got into the situation, should have taken the class. I'm just saying, it wasn't what I expected. I, I wasn't much help, and certainly not a coach. Okay. Thank goodness for great nurses. But now put yourself in Mary's shoes, right? The angel shows up and says, you're highly favored. 
And so you have all this expectation. You're highly favored. You're going to bring into this world the Messiah. Whoa, that's going to be amazing. I think I would have an expectation of this working out really well. And now you've been shunned by your village for the last six months. Now you're in a barn with a dude who didn't take the Lamaze class either. It wasn't what you expected. And, and it gets later, just right after Jesus is born, they take him to the temple and a prophetic person prophesies, actually, it's going to be really hard, Mary. A sword will pierce your own soul, too. Later, you have to wonder if God really has a plan as you watched your promised Messiah son dying on a Roman cross. And see, for us, I think for many of us, we do. We have a universal expectation of what life should be, the good life. When we think about God, we have an expectation. I'll try to be a good person, and, and in return, I, Jesus, I want Jesus to make my marriage better, to, to fix my finances, to give my kids a good moral compass. And we often have an unspoken expectation about a good God that I expect a good God would not let me be cheated on, not let a loved one die early, not allow this sickness that I'm facing or my family member is not allow the brokenness in this relationship with a family member. In fact, sometimes when it comes to trust or faith in God, I have more trust in my expectation of God than in God himself. And when my expectations don't come to pass, the temptation is to pass on God. Here's the thing. Jesus never promised life would be easy and pain-free. I challenge you, read through the Gospels, see if you can find it somewhere. Actually, something he promises, I actually had this printed up and put on a coffee cup. We gave a few of you one, one weekend, because this isn't a verse you find on the coffee cups. <laughs> People, you don't like to like think about that as you drink your coffee in the morning. Jesus promised, in this life you will have trouble. But he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Life sometimes will be really hard. Unexpected things will happen. Even Jesus' cousin, who was a famous prophet, the one sent by God, he's the one who announced the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A little while later, he's rotting in a jail cell, and he begins to doubt, and he begins to lose his faith and his strength, and he sends his, his dudes over to Jesus to go, I, I need some reassurance. Are you really the one? And Jesus sends him back. Remember what we started with, that passage? Jesus sends him back, his disciples, with this, uh, this passage. Hey, go tell John this. Uh, here's what's happening, you know. The blind are receiving sight. The good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And he leaves one thing out. Freedom of the captives. Oh. And then he says this thing. It's almost like he's telling John, John, I'm not going to get you out. The circumstance you're in, actually, this time isn't going to end well. But this life isn't all there is. There's eternity. He goes on to say, John's one of the great, John's the greatest man who's lived. But he says, blessed are those who do not stumble on account of me. See, our expect, who, what's your expectation of Jesus? See, he promises you something now. He promises you grace to sustain you in the midst of this life that is in the midst of this world that's broken. And he promises you that he will always be with you. 
if you trust in him. But he never promises life will be completely easy and like the ideal expected picture that we have in our minds. Verse 8 says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby in claws and lying in a manger. Christmas is introduced to us by the angels as what? Good news. And why is it good news? Who's been born to us? It's there. A Savior. A Savior's been born to you. This is the same way the angel actually introduced, uh, when he appeared to Joseph, he says, hey, um, it's okay, get married. This is of God. She's telling you the truth. And, and then the angel, the angel says, I want you to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. Now, I think Joseph is thinking, whoa. I mean, obviously, he's overwhelmed <laughs> getting a message from an angel. But I think he's thinking, like, what does that mean? Because they had a picture in their minds that the Messiah would come and save them from who? Rome. The angel says, your Savior, he's going to come and save his people from their sins. See, the people of Israel already had a whole system set up. They weren't too worried about that. They came, they offered sacrifices. But the message of the Old Testament, for, for 1,500 years, the, it, the sacrifices, the things they would do, were all pointing towards this moment when God would come in the flesh and deal with the thing that separated us from relationship with him once and for all. When that relationship could be taken, when we could receive forgiveness and experience true relationship with him, and not just for this one people group, but for the whole world. That was always the plan. I think for you and me, when it applies to us, we think of, I'm going to live good. I'm going to tip the scales in my favor with God. You think you're good? You should have seen these guys. You should have seen them. And although it was unexpected by the nation, Jesus' mission actually to come as a Savior, it was there all along in Isaiah. In fact, I want to show you something real cool before we move to the last little section of this Christmas account. And that's this. The prophet Isaiah, writing 700 years, he, he has all these references to Jesus in Scripture. You just have to open your eyes to see it. My wife came in. She woke me up because she'd been having her quiet time. And, uh, and she came in. She's like, you got to see this. This is so cool. I've never seen it exactly this way before. And so she showed me this um, where she said, where Jesus, uh, it's all over in Isaiah. You know what the name Jesus means? See, the angel, actually, Jesus is in English, which is an English version of the Greek transliteration, which means they took Jesus' name from Hebrew and transliterated it into Greek, and I won't try to pronounce this. It's like, anyway. But the Hebrew version, does anybody know what Jesus' name given to him by his mother and father would have been? Yeshua. 
Yeshua, which is a shorter version of Joshua, which literally means Yah or Yahweh saves or delivers. Now, here's what you see over and over, 700 years before Jesus was born. Even his very name is all over. Isaiah 12, the prophet writes, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for Yah or Yahweh, the one true God, the revealed name of God, all the way back in Exodus 3. The Lord is my strength and song. He has also become my Yeshua, my salvation. God takes on flesh in the person of Jesus, Yeshua. Verse 3, the very next verse, he says this, Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Yeshua, Jesus. And 700 years later, Jesus would be sitting by a well when a woman comes who is desperately seeking life, who's ashamed by the life that she's been living, and he will offer her living water. 700 years before. (laughs) Verse 10, chapter 52, the prophet makes it so clear exactly how Jesus would accomplish this. Check this out. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation, the Yeshua the Jesus of our God. How did Jesus die? They stripped his robe from him. They stretched his arms out on a cross and they lifted that cross and everybody saw literally his arms bared, the arm of the Lord to bring salvation. The next chapter is one of the clearest, clearest um, descriptions of the gospel anywhere. Even, I mean, it could have been written in the New Testament. It was written 700 years before Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. You see, we expect him to show up right now and solve all our problems. Actually, he came for a much bigger purpose than solving our problems right now. He came to create the opportunity, the way to relationship with him, not just for that nation, but for all the nations of the world. Jesus came, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. Jesus came to say, I have come to give you life and life in abundance. And here's what I believe. Even though God does, Jesus doesn't come and always fix everything right now, following him is the best way to live. And you find what life is really meant to be and where meaning is really meant to be found. It begins by acknowledging our need for Jesus. I'm going to invite the band back up. And Isaiah, you see also the scope of his mission that they missed. They had a very focus on just like what he's going to do for us. And this is prophesied. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my, what? My salvation, my Yeshua, Jesus, may reach to the ends of the earth. You know what? Just a little bit later in Luke 2, this prophetic guy, that God showed he would stay alive until he saw Messiah. He sees Jesus and he's like, it's him. And he quotes this exact verse. It's Jesus. He's going to be a light to the world. And you know what? Most of us out here are Gentiles. Gentiles with the rest of the nations of the world. Isn't it remarkable that 2,000 years later, we're here celebrating the birth of this baby? 
This is why the angels announced the birth of Jesus as good news. Good news. The angels, they, they closed their message like this to the shepherds. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts, this is the unseen realm, this is the, the hosts of angels, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Remember the passage we started with? Remember that, Isaiah, Luke 4, where Jesus quotes Isaiah? Here's the interesting thing. Jesus gets up and he says, I'm here to proclaim the good news being preached and all these amazing things and what the year of the Lord's favor. And then what does he do? He closes the scroll. He sits down and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here's the interesting thing. Isaiah didn't, Isaiah keeps going. Jesus stops literally mid-sentence. Because here's the thing. Isaiah goes on to say the day of the favor, or the year of the favor of our Lord, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Jesus closes the book. Stops mid-sentence. Why? Because he's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. Now, don't misunderstand. All that Isaiah prophesied will still come to pass. Many times prophets saw things and they were squished together like mountain ranges that the closer you get, the further you realize it's range after range and years or hundreds of years go by, right? The things Isaiah prophesied about the future will still come to pass. All the prophecies about Jesus coming in power, bringing justice, peace, like the Christian creed, the Apostles' Creed says, he will come to judge the living and the dead. The things they expected at his first coming are going to be fulfilled when he comes again. The one who predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off, he makes us a promise. I'm coming again. I'm coming again. And you know the universal expectation that you and I have? of the good life, it it isn't wrong. It's us remembering how life was meant to be when God originally placed us in the Garden of Eden. It isn't wrong. It's just not yet. His kingdom is in our midst, but it's not here fully. It will be when he comes again. But today, while we wait, we're in the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor when the offer of relationship and forgiveness and grace is extended to people from every tongue and tribe and nation. <laughs> and 2,000 years have gone by. Some of you are like, man, that's a long time. No, Peter, here's what Peter says. People say Jesus is slow in keeping his promise. He's not slow. He's coming back. He's patient because he doesn't want every, anyone to perish but everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's what that means. He's waiting because he loves you and you and you and you. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants to invite you into his family. So here's what I want you to do with this. Would you stand? I want to invite you to do two things. The first one is why don't you come back? Maybe you've had some expectations of God that, that didn't line up with actually what he promised or who he said he is. 
One of the best things you can do is become part of a community. If you don't live here, go find this in your hometown, a community that takes the scripture seriously so you can, you can learn and grow and have some support around you in discovering what Jesus really says about himself and how we're meant to live, how we're meant to find that life in abundance that he invites us into. It's a lifelong journey. None of us have arrived yet. You know, this is the place here at Life Community where you can belong before you believe. You can come and you can ask questions. I would love to have you come back. Second, some of you, maybe it clicked for for you for the first time in a way that it never has today. What Jesus did for you when he came, the Son of God came, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life. He died and then rose again so that you could have salvation. You could have life. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you sense in your heart God's drawing you, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. And for you, why don't you pray a prayer like this right after me? Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin, Lord. I believe you're who you said you are, that that you're the Son of God, that you died and rose again. Please bring me into your family. Give me eternal life. I want to live my life for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this song about our Savior.